Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, Merry Christmas, Journey. I know Justin said it once, but it never gets old to say Merry Christmas, family. Merry Christmas to all of you on our Evans campus. Merry Christmas to everyone joining us at our Sherwood campus. And Merry Christmas to everyone that is joining us in your home or your office or maybe your car on the way to a Christmas gathering online. Merry Christmas. I love Christmas. And dare I say, I love Christmas Eve more than I love Christmas Day. The anticipation just gets me. The excitement that builds throughout the day just never gets old. The anticipation of what is to come, the anticipation of Christmas Day and the gifts that I get to give and receive, the amazing food I get to eat. Tomorrow we're going to have lunch, a southern lunch prepared by my husband's grandmother, and then tomorrow night we're going to all join together for some amazing Italian food. And let me tell you, I'm excited about the food, and I'm excited about the family that I get to see All of the family that maybe we don't get to spend a lot of time together with throughout the year, we get to come together for Christmas Day and celebrate. There's so many things to anticipate. And in this season, this Advent season, this month of December, we together as a church have been anticipating. And if you haven't been with us for these past few weeks, let me catch you up. We've been in this season called Advent season. And Advent comes from this Latin word Adventus. And it means the preparation and the anticipation of something to come. And we as Christians have been walking through this Advent season, anticipating the celebration of Jesus Christ coming to earth. All month of December, we've been anticipating this very moment, this celebration, where we celebrate and we proclaim and we remind ourselves of Emmanuel, God with us. And each week of the Advent season, we've been lighting a candle together as a church family to remind ourselves of these different aspects of our life that would never be the same, that would never be full without Jesus. And so the first week we lit a candle, speaking of hope, the hope candle. And we reminded ourselves that Jesus is the hope of the world and that we can never have true, everlasting, never failing hope without Jesus Christ in our lives. And then the next week we lit the candle of faith, reminding ourselves of the faith that Mary had in God's plan. It didn't make sense. It would be slowly revealed over time, but her hope and her faith in God was never put to shame. And we were reminded that our faith in Jesus Christ will never disappoint us as well. And then we lit the joy candle together, reminding ourselves that the joy of the Lord is our strength and that no matter the chaos of this world, No matter how this world may disappoint us, our hope in Jesus will never fail us. We will never be disappointed when we place all of our joy in him. And then last week, we lit the peace candle together, reminding ourselves that peace has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ, and he is with us forevermore. And tonight, we get to light the central candle in the middle of our Advent wreath. And it's the Christ candle. And it's the candle that represents the light that Jesus came to bring into this world. And this Christ candle is the central candle of this wreath because it reminds us that Christ is center of all things. And without Christ, we can't have hope. 
Without Christ, we can't have everlasting peace. Without Christ, we can't have unfailing joy. Without Christ, we can't have light in our lives. And we need light in our lives. From the beginning of time, we've needed light. At the beginning of creation, God created light and darkness with just one word. And light was immediately separated from darkness. And then God created man and woman, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they decided and they chose to sin. And in that moment, the light of God's presence was separated from man. And so then we no longer needed God just to light up day, but we needed God to move us from death to life again. And the redemption story right there began to be written. But it doesn't end there. And we still all feel darkness. We've not only seen darkness, but we can feel darkness. Dark shadows of loneliness, of sickness, of loss, of broken relationships, of disappointment, maybe even the sting of sin. We've all felt these, these heavy things that cast dark shadows on our lives. We can feel darkness. And maybe this is you even right here, right now, waiting in darkness, wondering if God is still gonna continue to write this redemption story, if he's gonna come through and shine a light in the darkness of your life right now. Maybe you're asking, will he shine a light in the shadows? But listen, there's hope. Even in the darkest night, because Jesus, Emmanuel, came to shine an everlasting light. And so, though you may feel like you're walking around in a life full of shadows, let me remind you that they're just shadows and the presence of a shadow implies the presence of light because without light, it's just darkness. But if there's only shadows around you, that means that there's light on the other side of your darkness. And so this means that Christ has always been with us. His light, the everlasting light has always been with us. And it's a brilliant light that will never dim or fade or leave us, we just have to look for it. Lift up our weary heads and see the great light of the Messiah. Because the promised deliverer, the one who was promised to be a light overcoming darkness is here. And so we no longer anticipate the light of Christ, but we celebrate that he is here, the wait is over. The wait for the fulfillment, the fulfillment of this promise in Isaiah is over. This is what we cling on to. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is Christmas, that the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone has come into the world. The Messiah has come to deliver us and show us that God surely remembers and delivers on every promise that he has ever made to you and I, to his sons and his daughters. And so the light of the world, Jesus Christ, the Messiah is not far from you. It's just a shadow. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the glorious light of our wonderful counselor, of our mighty God, of our everlasting Father, and of our Prince of Peace is shining down upon us and it is lighting up every dark place in our life and restoring everything that darkness once took hold of. And so we can rejoice that the Christ, the newborn King, is shining a light in the shadows and his arrival has brought an end to the reign of darkness in our lives now and forevermore. And so once again, the wait is over. And we are no, no longer sitting in wait for the light of the world. We sit in wonder of his glorious light. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who shows up once again to be with us here and now. And we rejoice that our hope is fulfilled and that God's peace has come to earth. And we thank you now for the light of that special star over 2,000 years ago that guided humbled shepherds and wise men to Jesus, the everlasting light. So lead us now by the light of your love that we may always follow you to new life in him. We rejoice that we can fully know God's love through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. What a great day it is. It's so cool to be with you guys today, but I have to do something um, that I'm surprised we haven't even talked about yet, and it's something if every child in this room has this. I want you to do me a favor, all the kids. I want you to get it back. Get it from... I want you to put your glass... You already have them on, don't you? Let's put them on and look at the light. Ooh. What do you see? Me too. Anybody see elves? Nobody? Anybody see? You, you haven't, what else are you seeing? Nothing? Great. Well, that worked well. Merry Christmas. Man, I'm so excited. I'm Bobby Smith. I'm the lead pastor here. And it's been a, a joy today. It's been actually our privilege. We want to say thank you. You could have been anywhere else, but you chose to be here today. And this is our honor to just kind of present to you and talk through and, and, and listen to scripture and read about and, 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 and honestly study a little bit tonight. And so it's exciting. And, and it's, it, for me, uh, every time I think about Christmas, maybe for some of you, I think about traditions. Anybody have traditions? So we have lots of traditions. In a minute, we're going to do one of our traditions here. We're going to sing Silent Night together. That's something we've done over the years, and we've read Scripture together. For others, you guys, maybe you're going to sing special songs at your house or read a Scripture or maybe watch Elf. How many people Elf is, is the one? Yep, so a lot of Elf people, so that's good. Um, for me, it's actually interesting. And I don't know, you ever been to a had a moment where all of a sudden you were reminded of something you haven't done in a while, like a tradition you haven't done. Uh, the other day, I was making a turkey and cheese sandwich. And don't laugh at me. Um, I was sitting there, and as I was making this turkey and cheese sandwich, I was putting the mayonnaise on it, and then I put the, the mustard. And how many people swirl the mustard in, right? Like, or do you just keep it separate? 
Well, I was swirling it in. And it was at that moment I was reminded of something that happened years and years and years ago. Every, every Christmas Eve, we would go to Mass. I, I was raised Catholic. We would go to Mass. And after Mass, we would go over to my grandparents' house. And we would wait till 12 o'clock to open the presents. So all the kids, you know, were like doing this number right here. But we, we, would, we would eat. And we would eat huge Italian meals, big ziti and lasagna. But my grandmother also always put out a meat tray and always had these big rolls. And I remember making sandwiches. And it took me back to that moment in time. Uh, there's another tradition that's kind of interesting. It's happened. It's something my wife has started. And, it's, um, and maybe some of you guys do it. Uh, about this time every year, she'll get a puzzle and she'll throw the, all the pieces of the puzzle on the table. And when she does is all the kids, as they come over, and now that uh, Courtney's living in Atlanta, she'll wait. And, but all the kids will start kind of putting the puzzle together. And, and Gina will kind of put pieces out. And you can come out in the middle of the night and they're, they're working on the puzzle, regardless of what's going on in the world or anything else. But here's something I've learned, and I'm not a puzzle. How many people like puzzles? Like, like I don't. Um, it, it takes too long. Like, I need something that's quick, like, like you know, like a gun that shoots or something. I don't know. But, but they put the puzzles. But here's the deal. If I was making a puzzle, I would start at the middle. I would start at the picture, whatever the picture is, right? Any middle starters? No, because that's not the way you do puzzles. When you do a puzzle, you do the outside edge first, don't you? And then you kind of establish the parameters. And here's what's interesting. I think in the Bible, there's some times where we look at scriptures that's just kind of like meaningless or worthless. Um, I had a friend of mine, a pastor said, Bobby, what's the hardest pastor uh, passage to preach from? And I was like, ooh, that's a tough one. And I initially went, this is my first response, the book of Numbers. Anything in the book of Numbers, it's gotta be impossible to preach from. Like it's Numbers, that's, it's Numbers. If you're an accountant, you get Numbers. And then I was like, no, 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 it's got to be maybe something from, and I don't want to claim that I have preached from every, you know, scripture of the Bible, because I haven't, but I was like, maybe the book of Revelation, maybe the book of Revelation, like something in there, you know, about he's coming on a, on a you know, on, on a, a white, you know, stallion. And then I, got, I went, you know what it is? It's Matthew chapter one. Anybody know what it is? It's the begats. It's the, it's the, this person begat this person, and this person begat that person. And there's absolutely nothing. Like, we look at it as kind of just the, in the fringe, and we go, it really has no purpose in our world. But the truth of the matter is, Matthew chapter 1 is the outside edge of the picture of the puzzle. It actually establishes everything else that goes on. So many times we want to go right to the manger, or we want to go right to the cross. But you can't go to the manger or the cross without understanding where Jesus came from. If you'll give me just a couple minutes, I'd, I'd really like the opportunity to just kind of talk through this and, and kind of look at the, this, this, this first couple things that happened. And I'm not going to go through all of it. I would encourage you to read it one day. But this is the way it starts. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Bob. Amadab. Amadabi was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. I get that. I like that. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. I don't know if y'all are noticing, there's some weird names in here. And I'm not talking about pronunciation. There's some people that we would never think would be the lineage of Jesus. You go a little bit further, Boaz was the father of Obed, 
whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Drop down to verse 16 with me. It says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus who called the Messiah. All these listed above, including 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to, to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. And if you just read those at face value, you go, what purpose do they have in the Christmas story? But the truth of the matter is that they have great purpose in the Christmas story. And one of the very first truths that you've got to understand, if you understand in the purpose of Christmas, is that Jesus came to be the Messiah for all people. Not just the ones that look good, not just the ones that act right. He came to be a part of everyone's life. In ancient times, um, the, the biographies of commonly, uh, commonly began through and went through men. So the book of Luke talks about these genealogy and it's man, it's man, it's man, it's man, it's man, it's man. And it goes from literally from, uh, from, uh, from Adam to Jesus. But Matthew takes a different approach. Matthew goes through a different lineage. And he includes some people that honestly, if you look, you go, I can't believe you included that person. Matthew, Matthew's, Matthew's genealogy asserts all the way from, from Abraham to Jesus, but takes some really weird paths. Matthew includes some people with a past and some women. And I'm not trying to mansplain anything today, but I want you to hear something. That's really important in this passage of scripture. It's really important in biblical times because the genealogy always went from man to man and he was including women. He was saying, you know something, they have a value. And it's more than just the value of being uh, cooking and cleaning and, and doing certain things. They have a value in my eyes and that's why I sent Jesus to do what Jesus was there to do. He included David too, didn't he? I, I, I know there's kids here. But David was an adulterer and a murderer. And somehow or another, that genealogy, it went through a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. It went through Tamara, who dressed up like a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law. You're going, oh my goodness, how in God's name would you ever decide to go through those? And then Ruth, and you're going, well, Ruth was godly. Yeah, but Ruth was a Moabite. And at that time, Moabites and Jewish people didn't get along. And I think one of the things we've got to get and understand is that Jesus came. The simple truth is Jesus is the Messiah for all people, Jews and Gentiles, men and women. Galatians chapter three has turned out to be one of my favorite passages of scripture. And it says this, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's male nor female for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, meaning everybody's on a level playing field. I'm gonna throw something out real quick. I've had the privilege of pastoring here for 18 years. I'm the founding pastor. And one of the things that we have built a foundation on and what we understand is there can be no such thing as discrimination in a church. This church or any other church. And nobody could ever or should ever walk into a church and go, well, that's a church for rich people. Or that's a church for white people. Or that's a church for black people. Or, or that's, a, that's a church for fixed people. The bottom line is this, that the Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, that we are all way down here. We all stand on level ground when it comes to the cross. Jesus came. And that's one of the things we see through the lineage. We see people that really don't deserve to be in that lineage. But Matthew decided to keep him in there. Let me throw something else out tonight. The Christmas story, especially the beginning of this, the outside edge of this puzzle 
God's grace, it teaches us this. God's grace is greater than any and all of our sins. Any and all of our sins. It doesn't make a difference what we've done or where we've come from. There's an incredible story, uh, incredible stories about these people that, that were included in this lineage. Rahab was a prostitute. I mentioned that. She, she, she was there when Joshua and his spies came. And during this, in this moment, she asked Joshua to make a promise and said, hey, would you protect me and my family? So in this process of all of this going on, the prostitute put the spies up and you're going, well, that sounds a little suspect. Well, prostitutes also owned in the brothels were also hotels. And so what happened was they, they brought them all in and they, they literally, she literally hid them from, from, from the king that was coming to try to kill them. Uh, I, I love the story of, of Bathsheba. I mean, Bathsheba is one that had an affair with David. Her husband, her husband gets killed because David puts him out on the front line. And I think through this, if you've ever read Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the halls of faith. And some of those halls of faith go through the people that we're talking about right now. Bathsheba, they go through Ruth, they go through, they go through Rahab. As a matter of fact, through the lineage of Rahab came great kings, Boaz, and eventually Solomon. Well, what does that teach us? It teaches us that God's greater than all of our sin, all of the problems we have. These stories remind us of God's mercy and how great God's mercy is. Micah 7:18 says it like this, and I want to allow these words just to kind of penetrate our hearts for a few moments. It says, who is God like? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain anger forever because he delights in the steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And it says this, you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. See, Matthew chapter one, verse one to 17 teaches us that God's grace is bigger than our sin. God's grace is bigger than our, our, our biggest problem. And I don't know what you walked in, and we're not going to have that moment where everybody's going to share their sins, but all of us have walked in this place with things, haven't we? Some of us have stolen things. Some of us have said things. Some of us have thought things. If I was to ask you to show your hand how many we would look around and go, jacked up church. Because all of us have done things that we're ashamed of. But God says, you know something? regardless. And that's the story of Christmas. Regardless of your sin, God's grace is bigger than your sin. Here's another thing that the story of Christmas teaches me. It's not always who you are, but whose you are. I I grew up in a a big city um, in New Jersey. I I don't know if you can tell from the accent, I'm not from around here. Um, I was born in Trenton, New Jersey. It's a big city. It's the state capital. And it's, it's kind of not quite as big as Atlanta, but it's pretty big. And you didn't know everybody. You didn't have a clue who everybody was. You knew your neighbors, so I knew a couple neighbors. And, but we ended up moving when I was in sixth grade to a little small town called Allentown, New Jersey. And it's not Allentown that Billy Joel sings about. That's Allentown, Pennsylvania. But we moved this little town. It's one square mile. We had to walk to school uphill in the snow. <laughs> Both ways. Amazing thing. But it was a little small, just a little small town. And one of the things I learned is kind of like if, if you're from Lincolnton, you've heard the term NFL, not from Lincolnton, right? If you're NFL, like, and if you try to move there, they look at you weird. Well, Allentown was the same way, but there's not a really cool, like, NFA. It doesn't sound real good. But 
One of the things that I noticed when I was living there, when I, I, I was there until I was 24 years old, is if you would go into the, into the court or if you'd go to the firehouse, there was a lineage. Everybody, like, like the chief was the chief's son and the chief's son was the, you know, the grandfather and everybody kind of went through this lineage. And I remember that's why I learned the term and probably some of you heard it, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so in this little small town, this little one square mile town, everybody seemed to do the same thing that their father did and their father's father did and their father's father did. And it was just this, this lineage going through. I had a conversation with somebody the other day and I invited them to come to Journey. And I'm so pleased. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna point like, we're not gonna, hey, stir over there. <laughs> but I, I invited them to come and their first, their first response was this, was, do you know who my dad is? And I said, no. And I said, who's your dad? And they told me he was dad. I was like, ooh. I'm like, dad was not a good dude. And they said, I don't know that you would welcome me. And I'm like, no, 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 this is a place for you. This place, I can't preach this message. I can't talk about this thing here. And, and not, the, the apple doesn't always have to fall close to the tree. See, what happened with me and with my relationship with Jesus Christ, when I came to know Jesus, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't who I was, it was whose I was. That all of a sudden he purchased me with a price. It's the outside edges. So many times we go right to the, but it's the outside edges that sometimes God won't teach us things through the little moments in scripture. And so in this genealogy, we see that. I love the way, I love the way Sam Allerberry said, said it. He said, Matthew's genealogy includes the outcast, the scandalous, and the foreigner. The family Jesus comes for anticipates the family he comes from. There's one last part in this. And maybe it's the most important part. And maybe you're here today, and what I'd like to do is now I would like to put the center of the puzzle together. Anybody like building puzzles and you get to the last couple pieces and you get excited? And then you flip it over and put it in the box? That's why I don't do puzzles. Anybody ever get to the end of the puzzle and there's a missing piece? And you blame everybody and kick the dog? Right, right? So there, so many of us are missing the most important piece. And until we find the most important piece of the puzzle in the direction and right where it goes, we're never gonna find peace. That's what we talked about last week. And see, the story in Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17 is lining us up and leading us to that moment in time where the missing piece comes. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. I, I, I got to tell you this story. Um, last Friday, I was playing golf. And before you play golf, sometimes you warm up and you hit some balls. And so we're at, the, we're at, we're at Forest Hills and that's me and another guy. And the lady said, would you like to hit some balls before you play? I said, yes, I would. And so I said, um, I said, can I get a token? She goes, well, we're out of tokens right now, but on your receipt, there's going to be a number. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, great. There's a number on there. And I could just take that and she could just, just plug it in. Well, the guy that was in front of me is substantially older. He's like five years older than me. <laughs> substantially older. And, and if I wasn't there, I would never believe this story. But he, he's looking and he goes, Bobby, I can't see the number. I was like, you're old, man. And, and, and the girl goes, it's right there. And he's going, I can't see it. It's right there. And she says this, and I love this. Uh, 
Like I died laughing. She goes, would you like me to write it bigger? <laughs> now I got a good laugh out of that. And I was like making fun of them. Y- y'all ever do that when you like, I may like, you can't see. We get over to the thing and I was like, where's the number at? <laughs> and I said to him, I said, one day, that's going to make a great illustration in church. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be a great illustration. And then I got to playing golf for a little while longer. I got quiet. It's like, hey, I said, I got it. For thousands of years, God's been writing a little script through the prophets. Thousands of years, we read one, Isaiah 61, thousands of years in little script, waiting and telling the story of the Jesus that was going to come. And then all of a sudden, a couple thousand years ago, he starts to write in bigger font. He tells Mary that she's going to have a child through an angel. Bigger. She tells Joseph in a dream, or he tell, uh, the, the angel tells Joseph, bigger. The shepherds see the scar, the star, you know, all, all the stuff. It's getting bigger and it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger. And it's all lining up to the missing piece being Jesus. See, God's been trying to get our attention for thousands of years. And if there's ever been a moment in time, the last two years, we have been distracted by everything else. Every time something else comes through, every time we hear another story about something that's happening in our world, every other, you know, when now it's, you know, the transformer COVID, Omnitron or whatever it's called. It takes us further from identifying the missing piece. That was one of the reasons we decided this year to do Advent, which we've never done before. Because we wanted to slow down and take a look at what Christmas was really about. Let me me tell you what Christmas is really about. It was about Jesus conquering our sin so we can conquer sin. He conquered death so we could conquer death. He ushered in a new kingdom, the reign of God on earth. It's not a political kingdom. It's not a black and white kingdom. It's a God kingdom. He came for all people, regardless of race and gender or social status. He came for all people, regardless of our past. Somebody say amen to that. He came into this world so God can reign in our lives as king. He came to be the light of the world that Lindsay talked about. Matthew 1, 117 is the outside border. But Matthew 2 and Matthew 1, the end of Matthew 1, put the picture together. We looked at Advent. We looked at hope. We looked at faith. We looked at joy. And we looked at peace. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, he was a good man. He he didn't want to disgrace her. 
publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll, she'll give birth to a, to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Jesus woke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. That's the central part of the puzzle. That thousands of years ago, Jesus came because God was trying to restore creator and creation. And this is the only way he could do it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in this moment right here, I believe after these last couple of weeks, I'll never look at another passage of scripture as insignificant. Because over and over and over again, as I've read this passage, it's become perfectly clear to me the plan of salvation. It's become perfectly clear why you did what you did the way you did it. We could have seen the ushering of the King of Kings in a thousand different ways, but you decided a manger through a virgin. And that was the day. You wrote the story of the famous one in the largest script we could possibly see. And then you dotted it with a period or an exclamation mark. When Jesus died on the cross, three days later coming from the tomb. Because of that, my past is forgiven. Because of that, our past is forgiven. Because of that, it's not who we are, it's who's born. Because of that holy night, because of that holy night, God, do something in us this Christmas. Let us understand the missing piece of the puzzle. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.